When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. night so as you know wait were we supposed to say merry christmas to them too no no i just i almost said patreon (laughs) (laughs) that's why there was a pause Uh, Uh, wait 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 if you're gonna say merry christmas then i'm gonna obviously say bah humbug yeah Perfect. perfect so as you guys know we always try to do a christmas horror around this time of the year and last year we realized that we had pretty much tapped out all of the actual christmas horror movies that we wanted to sit down and watch, so we had to start getting creative. So we've been going with movies that either take place around Christmas time or are a little bit horrific. So we did Batman Returns last year. Great time. And that's when I like turned around and looked at my shelf while we were recording Batman Returns. It was like, why didn't we do Scrooge? Because Scrooge is definitely a Christmas movie, but it's a retelling of The Christmas Carol where it's like, hey, let's take out like the ghost's and just make them way more horrific and more upsetting. Uh, so here we are with Scrooged, uh, a a film that is definitely watched pretty regularly around this time of the year for me. I don't know. I think Brian watches it often enough at Christmas time. Scott's never seen it. I, don't, I mean, I'll watch I, it when you're watching it. Yeah, <laughs> that's just Brian's personality, though. It's fun enough. Uh, Scott, I know that you were dreading it. I know that you were miserable that, you know, spoiler alert, we're recording this in early November. I know that you were miserable that you were watching a Christmas movie the first week of November. Also, uh, why I, why are you telling them that? Keep that uh, shit secret. <laughs> because you were very upset and I want to address it. I, I, I would I, be I, upset if I was watching this Christmas fucking Eve, man. It was a bad movie. How oh, dare you? Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, so I will say one of the first notes I have is, and, and as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, wait, it's not that creative. 
but I had written down that I think that the opening song is is a very underappreciated Danny Elfman score, but it's basically just Tales from the Crypt. That's <laughs> <Like laughs> the opening to Tales Wait, did the Danny Crypt. Elfman do the opening to Tales from the Crypt? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But yeah, it's so I love this movie and I specifically love the opening of this movie. Scrooge, uh, there's a couple things here. First of all, every December, I reread Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol. I love it's one of my favorite stories ever. I think it's the best thing Charles Dickens ever wrote. I like this version of it because it's such a it taps into like a lot of things that I like. First of all, it taps into a little bit more horrific telling than say the Muppets Christmas Carol, which I also <laughs> like, but lacks that love of horror that I have. Uh, and then I also like that it is a very for the for a large chunk of the movie is a very very pessimistic look at like television and corporations and the way that like people treat each other uh so the way that this kicks off with just these bizarre cash grab christmas specials that are playing on television really does it for me right it's out Lee majors oh dude when the elves open up the cabinet and it's just filled with weapons <laughs> it makes no sense why it would be but the the one that actually gets me is Robert Goulet's old Cajun Christmas. Yes, that <laughs> like, is the best part of the movie right there. He's just on a little like like Tom and Huck raft. Just and there's him. a crocodile coming after him. <laughs> or sorry, an alligator, right? Yeah, yeah, it's silver bells. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, note right yeah. there was Goulet. Goulet! <laughs> um, but yeah, and then we see, you know, Bill Mary's character is just the most evil son of a bitch you could ever see and his demented ad for charles dickens uh <laughs> scrooge starts off with just like acid rain <laughs> <laughs> all the reasons to never leave your house <laughs> uh and you know bobcat goldthwaite pops up and it's just like hey man like i think you're gonna scare a lot of people with this it's so weird when you hear bobcat goldthwaite with his normal voice not his stage voice yeah, I like it. It's just a normal it's, it's, guy. <laughs> yeah, like I it it's shocking though. It's got to be so <laughs> annoying. I think about that all the, and I understand it's like their job to act. But even I watched like the long trailer for Knives Out, and I'm like, dude, poor Tony Collette. Like, she plays an American woman in so, like in almost every movie, and yeah. I feel so bad for her because that's probably a big pain to do that. All the I, time. well, I think. I think Bobcat stopped doing the Bobcat voice because it was actually like fucking up his vocal cords. Probably, everyone. dude. It's it's actually almost cringy to hear because you feel like the vi the the uncomfortable vibration. You know what yeah. I mean? But, One thing uh, I love about this movie, and maybe I'm I'm a minority of it, but the the late '80s, early '90s, I am a sucker for a character whose only purpose is to repeatedly get hurt. And, and I don't know why. <laughs> sadist, because you're a sadist. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the censor, the censor woman just constantly <laughs> getting hurt. It's just so funny to me. I thought you were talking about Bobcat, where it's just like he's just down and out. Oh, man. That, man. The face he makes when, he's, uh, when he smells the bottle of booze <laughs> is also the best part of this movie. Yeah. It's, it's just like, <sighs> and then he gets, you know, it water slashed on smushed on him or whatever and yeah well and he just so so he's like this pathetic character that you just feel so bad for as the movie progresses uh and bill mary is just the first line of dialogue where i really feel like he is 
tapping into letting you know how much of a dick he is, is looking at his assistant's drawing on the, on the wall, and he's like, um, how many fingers does Mrs. Claus have? 11? <laughs> That's right. It's crap. Get it off the wall. <laughs> he's like such a dick throughout the whole movie. Scott, I know that you and I had a little bit of a conversation off the air. Yes, I did very much enjoy this part. <laughs> uh, so... There's a scene where Bill Murray walks into the gym and on the wall. It oh, says, this part. Yeah. Yeah. It says cross noun, a thing that you nail people to. Uh, and supposedly I was reading about it again, just to like kind of get myself a little bit more knowledgeable on the whole situation. But this was made by Richard Donner, who was one of the guys who created Tales from the Crypt. Uh, and I think this was either the movie right before Tales from the Crypt or right after it launched. But him and Bill Murray did not agree on pretty much anything in this entire film. Um, so the, the quote that I have here says, Bill Mary and Richard Donner did reportedly did not enjoy working together, creating a lot of tension on set. When asked by film critic Robert Ebert if he had any disagreements with Donner, Bill Mary, Bill Mary replied, only a few, just every single minute of the day. This could have been a really, really great movie. The script was so tight and dark, there was maybe one take in the final film that I felt like was truly mine. We made it so quickly. It was like filming a movie in real time. He kept having me do things louder and louder and louder. I'm starting to worry that Richard Donner might actually be deaf. Um, so they just hated each other. Bill Murray felt like the movie had such... He said the thing that made him interested in the movie in the first place was the idea of doing a very dark comedy about a beloved Christmas tale. And he felt like they ended up playing it way too safe, ultimately, and that it should have been more dark, offensive humor in the in the vein of cross a noun, something that you nail people to. Um, so that's that's the perspective, as I always wonder sometimes if I, I would love to have known what Bill Murray's version of this movie was and like if it got more but sadistic. But so I'm a little confused, though, like Richard Donner was in charge of Tales from the Crypt, right? Yeah. But he didn't want to make this movie like Tales from the Crypt. It does. It seems so strange. Like, I think he was gearing it towards a family. Yeah, like, I think that's a dark comedy you can watch with your family. Mm. Because that's well, the that's thing you have to boring. you have to think about the other Richard Donner movies. So, like, while he's one of the guys who launched Tales from the Crypt, you look at his um, directing career though, and his movies that he made were like Superman and Superman Two. Like, he started with The Omen, but then he made Superman, Superman 2, The Toy, Lady Hawk, Goonies. Oh, Lethal Lady Weapon. Hawk. Wait, wait, yeah. he directed Goonies? He directed mm -hmm. Goonies, he directed oh, cool. Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, Radio Flyer. Like, his focus... Oh, his trajectory was... really is family movies. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, so I think that that was the thing. It was, like, finding that healthy blend of, like, I do like horror, and that's where I got my start, was doing, like, The Omen, and I love, like, doing these Tales from the Crypt things. But my most of my film career is kid centric. So, like, how do I do something that's kind of fun for the whole family? Uh, and I think and I get it. That's the same thing with like Bill Murray and um, Howard Ramis had a falling out on the set of Groundhog Day because Bill Murray thought that that movie had the potential to actually be a very good rom-com and felt that it leaned way too much into like slapstick comedy when it could have been like an actually touching film. Um, but we'll get past that. So. 
that's that's the basis of there was constant arguments there was constant fighting and feuding between bill murray and the director on this movie and i think they shot it very quickly to get it out in time for christmas sure Um, yeah this is the kind of thing where you really can't (laughs) have a flexible release date yeah you can't just like drop it in july like it's got (laughs) to be done in time um that being said we get the first point where i really love what this movie does and it's when Frank's old boss shows up and he's just this rotting corpse in like a dusty old golf uniform. And like, there's a point where a golf ball falls out of a crack in the back of his skull and a mouse crawls out of there and he tears off his sunglasses and his eyes have all rotted out. Like it, it goes for like the, the kind of gross stuff that you would see in like a horror movie in the eighties. Like I, and I like that about it. I did enjoy the visuals of that as well. Yeah. Like there's, I, I know that this is a tough sell for, for Scott and I'm, uh, and I appreciate that he's not just completely running me down for how much of a piece of shit this is. No, that's the thing is that you got to keep in mind that when I am negative on the show, I'm still having a good time. Yeah. Party. Uh, I will Unlike say your that- brother. <laughs> I will say, and this is about a good time for me to bring it up. The, the big thing that I love about this movie and I, this is the movie more than any of the films that they've been in. That reminds me of this. Karen Allen was so gorgeous. Yeah. Like, like her from like animal house up to now, like every time she smiles, my heart melts. I think she might be my favorite, like celebrity crush of that time period of the eighties. <laughs> I think it's Karen Allen. She is so beautiful in this movie. Yeah. But she's not a good actress. Like no, movie, but you kind of love a terrible her. actress in this movie. Yeah, but you love her anyway. Do I? I, I? She can call me Lumpy any day. Oh my god, um, <laughs> that's not uh, a very sexy nickname, by the way. No, Karen not, Allen. A, not at all. <laughs> uh, so there's the whole scene where uh, we start to see Frank is losing his mind a little bit, uh, and he's having to deal with the censor. And this is where the quote to end all quotes to describe horror movie night comes up. Which to me is when she's fighting about a girl's nipples being exposed. Uh, and yes. one of the random workers just goes, man, you can hardly see them nipples. And Bill Murray goes, see, and they're really trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's the thing about that scene. Um, those, oh, the first, the line is, um, well, Charles Dickens would have wanted to see her nipples then. <laughs> But the the actual thing about it, and I just you know fr- from a from a scientific perspective, that's not actually her nipples that are nipple that is visible. It's her areola. So I mean, mm. yeah. My which also leads to my other favorite Bill Mary line in the scene, which is after she gets knocked out cold, he goes, "Hey, make sure her nipples are covered up." Right. <laughs> <laughs> Frank goes out to dinner. And he starts seeing some crazy shit. People getting caught on fire, eyeballs floating in his drinks. And this is when my favorite of the three ghosts, the one and only Buster Poindexter, pulls up as a cabbie. Uh, Apparently this role was originally written for Sam Kinison, which also makes sense. But uh, I forget who it was. Someone on set was really good friends with Buster Poindexter and Hot 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 was a huge hit at the time. Uh, So the role went to Buster Poindexter. Uh and i you think that's his real name no i know what his real name is i just know i i never know how to say his real name but i know how to say buster poindexter (laughs) (laughs) side note about so i didn't know this until i was reading the imdb trivia the other day so he was the uh lead singer of the new york dolls 
before he did the side project of Buster Poindexter. We get to see all of backstory of Frank's character as a kid. And there's this whole sequence where you see him as a little kid with his parents. And it is probably my favorite back and forth dialogue throughout the whole movie, just between like the little kid and the dad. He's like, is it a choo-choo train? (laughs) No, it's five pounds of veal. (laughs) Well, then get a job and get a choo-choo train. (laughs) But then there's, I love that Bill Murray is like, puts up his hard exterior and he's like, I was so ungrateful back then. A man gives you what today would be 30 to $50 of milk-fed veal, and I showed no appreciation. <laughs> With the cabbie driver is like, come on, man, you did nothing but sit in front of the TV, and then Bill Murray just starts describing scenes from TV shows. <laughs> Dude, that, so both of my favorite scenes are with this ghost, and it's, <laughs> that's the little house on the prairie, and just Bill Murray silent for a few seconds. The homecoming episode. The homecoming episode. <laughs> Their chemistry is actually really good. Yeah, oh, ridiculous. That and then five minutes in the future when when they're at the uh, the dog show, whatever the dog's name is, and they're like frisbee. frisbee, and they're like, "What's the gift?" And the ghost is just in the background, like a bone. It's a bone, you lucky dog. <laughs> Ice. Still say that sometimes to my dogs when I'm about to give them a bone. <laughs> it's a bone, you lucky dog. Uh, I think the next Christmas party I go to, I'm just going to walk around handing out Xerox photos of my butt. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you pick the worst ideas from movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least put on some sexy panties first. Yeah, uh, you know what? Fair. I will put on the sexy panties. Um, <laughs> I, I I have one quote that I want to try to do an impression of, and it's right here when he's talking about how like why didn't I? Why did I walk away from her? I must have been out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, the voice crack there is fantastic. <laughs> uh, so the the quote that um, and I actually texted this to my cousin because my cousin and I say this line a lot is we get back to the present. And now Bill Mary, inspired by the interaction with the first ghost, decides to reconnect with Claire. And he goes to the homeless. Well, shelter. Wait, wait. So when he, when they're talking to or when they're in the past and he is shown when he and Claire were um, living in that apartment together there's yeah. a swing in the kitchen did you see that in the background there's, the, there's a swing in the kitchen she's smoking like she's got like the little like what's it called like a roach pick or something like that uh, where she's a roach clip roach clip sorry yeah, she's, she's, she's smoking a joint in the bathtub yeah like it's such a weird like detail to add in but i guess you know early 80s hanging out <laughs> but i guess i don't know but it's just so funny because then they're talking about like kama sutra and i'm thinking like I, I don't understand how this and Ghostbusters, how Bill Mary was ever seen as a sexual being. <laughs> well, this was I didn't know this. This was his first starring role since Ghostbusters five, five years, years earlier. before. Yeah. Wow. Like he um he apparently was considering quitting acting around that point because and I and I get it. This has been like the plague of Bill Mary is that Bill Mary saw himself as an actual actor who wanted to have range and just o- only was getting offered roles like Slapstick. Peter Bankman and sla- and stuff like that. And I think 
that's why when you see these movies, there's such this like aggressiveness to it versus like you see him in something like Lost in Translation or like any Wes Anderson movie that he's in where he actually gets to feel like he's showing that he can really act. And there's this very calm nature to it. I think that a lot there's so many stories of Bill Murray being a dick in the 80s and early 90s. And you don't hear those stories anymore. And I wonder if it's just a better peace of mind feeling like he's not as trapped in this role that he didn't like playing in the first place Fair uh, anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, my, I am only basing it on the little bit that I pieced together from watching a documentary my friend made called uh, Bill Mary stories, which is on Netflix. Go ahead and check it out uh, where he tracks down people who had Bill Mary crash their parties. And stuff. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. And he like, the stories that you hear, he seems like he's just a really fun, down-to-earth guy in real life. Like, I think the one story was, like, he went to a sorority, just showed up at a sorority house when they were having a party, walked into the kitchen, yelled at one of them for how dirty their dishes were, and then just cleaned the kitchen and left. Like, that was, like, <laughs> That's amazing. Like, he would just do shit like that, or he would, like sneak up behind someone at a at a airport and steal a french fry from them and then as he chewed it looked at them and said no one will believe you and then walked away <laughs> <laughs> uh the one story that i that i do love because they have video evidence of it which adds to like being like okay so this definitely happened was a dude uh who lived in austin booked a band to play at his house during south by southwest and they brought bill mary with them to play tambourine in the band <laughs> And the cops showed up and were like, yo, you got to shut that music off. And the guy's like, I went outside and I said to the cops, listen, I understand that we're making a lot of noise, but Bill Murray's in there playing tambourine. And I'm certainly not going to tell him that he can't play tambourine. So (laughs) one of you guys is going to have to do it. And the cops are like, yeah, sure. And then they show the actual footage and the cops open the door and Bill Murray just runs up to them and starts banging the tambourine. And And he's like, and the cops just hung out and had a couple beers with us. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so he goes into the, pre- he's back in the present. He goes to the homeless shelter and he's trying to reconnect with Claire. <laughs> and this is the quote that my friend Dave, my cousin Dave and I send to each other all the time, which is his advice to her is scrape them off, Claire, <laughs> which is such a, such a shitty piece of advice, but it comes back in the future where she does this dramatic re-saying of it, which yeah. is like, my friend gave me advice. She said, scrape them off, Claire. If you want to take care of someone, take care of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, this is where we meet Herman, who is there's a whole gang of homeless people, including the mom from all I can. Yeah. All I can see when I see Herman is fucking American Gothic. American Gothic. It's it's uh, he's also the guy who uh, in the very beginning of House of a Thousand Corpses is talking about the guy who shoves the toys up his ass. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, why why do you think that one of those comes to mind and not the other for me? <laughs> uh, his, big, his big claim to fame is that he was in, uh, he was one of the main characters in Bonnie and Clyde. He was their getaway driver. Well, I've never seen Bonnie it. And Clyde. It's, it's a fine movie. It's worth watching if you want to see uh, like the movies that caused them to have to create ratings because it was so violent for the time. But I that's thought that it. was Gremlins. No, Gremlins was the PG-13. Prior, there was no ratings at all. Your movie either came out or it didn't hmm. if, if, the, if the ratings didn't like it. Um, but I think it's Bonnie and Clyde, Easy Rider, and one other film from like 1969 was like so... Maybe it was The Graduate. Something like, like it was like those movies were like 
pushing the boundaries so badly that they were like, okay, we need to create a rating system. We need a way to like attribute something as like PG, G, whatever. So this is a quick little film history, but I think it's an interesting fact is that the original ratings were PG or G, PG, R, and X. And what happened was that they were so sure that no one ever wanted to get an X rating that they never copywrote the X. They only put a copyright in for G, PG, and R. And what they didn't anticipate happening was that porn companies would absolutely want that X rating. <laughs> so that's why you have like triple X and like all the, like, because it was like they could use this, they, there was nothing stopping them from using the X rating. Um, so that's why they eventually stopped using it and created P, like PG 13 came around and they were like, NC 17. Around. Yeah. So like a lot of the movies before the eighties that have an X rating, like a midnight cowboy or whatever. Wait, that really had an X rating that had an X rating at the time huh. it was released. Now we just look at it as an R rated movie. Yeah. But at the time they were like trying to make a point that like, you can't make movies about juggalos <laughs> or gigolos. Yeah. That beat wasn't, waiting for a effect i was like wait what <laughs> apparently someone's never seen big money hustlers <laughs> no i've only seen the western big money rustlers oh yeah um but anyway so uh oh this is the new that so there's one character that we haven't talked about who steals the show for me and it's the same guy who stole the show in gremlins 2 and it's yes Bryce, as this charming asshole executive <laughs> And the the scene that does it for me is when he calls everyone to go to lunch. And he's like, all right, everyone go to lunch. And then Bill Murray's like, I'm the one who calls lunch. He's like, oh, well, I'm sorry. If you want, I can bring them all back. Hey, everybody, come back. Frank's got something he wants to say. And then he just turns the mega <laughs> See, my issue with his character, and it's not his character. It's just this happens so much in movies where the main character is kind of an anti-hero. The person that they make a villain He's not really a villain. Like, the guy no, just busted his boss. ass to get to a point, <laughs> and Bill Murray's been a shit boss, and he's excited that he's about to take his job like anyone else will, and we're happy because Bill Murray holds them up at gunpoint and then pins it on him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's supposed to be a happy ending. That guy's not going to work for the rest of his life because of yeah. this. What was the other? There's another line that he says that makes me. Oh, it's when Bill Murray goes into the elevator and is scared by the ghost of Christmas future. And he goes, why are you scaring Frank? <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. It was funny when I was watching this, too. I was like, man, like Bill Murray has a change of heart at the perfect time. But like, what if it doesn't stick? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I So I talked about this in our group chat. I think I even said this at the end of last week's episode that there was a scene that scared me shitless as a kid. And there's technically two, but this was the big one is after the present, which we kind of glossed over because it's my least favorite of the segments. I know Scott hated it with all the slapstick that was in there. Uh... Um, fun note. They had to, they had to stop shooting for four days because Bill Mary's lip got ripped when she pulls his lip in the scene. Uh, Wait, what, what part? When she grabs his lip and pulls it down, she actually oh, tore oh. his lip in Fuck. real life, and we had to go to the doctors to get it stitched. Um, but they they go into she hits him with a toaster. That bitch hit me with a toaster. With a toaster, and he wakes up in this like sewer, basically, which she says is this Trump Tower. Which yeah, is and I was like, he's been a joke for his entire fucking life. Why is he president? <laughs> 
but the scene is he finds Herman frozen to death in in the sewer, and like I remember being, I was probably five or six watching this with my dad, and just like the the kind eyes and like the smile, just like froze, like it chilled me to my bone, and I him too. I, but I'm <laughs> but it, but if I'm being serious, like I'm the type of person who will like if I have money, I will buy food for like a homeless person if I see them, and I will like, and I wonder if it all comes back to like this scene just really fucking me up. But it, it's a very heavy scene, and there is like a little bit of comedy in there where he's kind of yelling at this corpse about like why didn't you stay at Claire's? He's like, you could have had a meal, you could have had a place to stay, you would have been a prettier color. I can tell you that. He's <laughs> like, just oh, that scene really fucked me up. Um, but then the ghost of Christmas Future shows up, and there's this awesome giant skeletal hand coming up behind Bill Murray. Uh, and as soon as we go into the the Christmas Future, this is the other part that when I was a kid I never saw beyond this point. Um, because I just I was already so freaked out by the frozen corpse, and when Bill Murray was opens that cloak and all those screaming like creatures are inside of it, I just I remember we were watching it at my grandma's house. My dad had rented it at Blockbuster, and I sat behind the chair until the Ghost of Christmas Future sequence was over. <laughs> so I only was listening to it, which also makes it way more horrifying yeah. when he's oh, screaming yeah. inside of a coffin, yeah. uh, not seeing what's happening. But the second that the Ghost of Christmas Future sequence happens, it really feels like a Tim Burton movie. Like it, it's got like these mm-hmm. awkward angles and it's all the cliches of a Tim Burton movie kind of just zoom into this movie for, yeah. for 10 minutes. It's but very it's, strange. Like that's very strange in my opinion, like the, the that Tim Burton-y thing because it's almost like that Tim Burton look became a cultural zeitgeist in movies where it was like, okay, you go, you got to be wacky. You got to have those weird angles. I don't but know. Here's the thing that doesn't make sense. Think about the year that this came out. 89. No, 88. Okay. The same year that Beetlejuice came out. So it wasn't like Tim Burton was like a household name yet. Like, well, it, so maybe Tim Burton was kind of crystallizing a lot of things that were, that they were doing in like music videos and stuff. Cause like, I think maybe. the Oingo Boingo videos, obviously Danny Elfman. Um, I'm pretty sure that they were doing those weird angles for rooms and stuff like that in the eighties. I don't know. I, I mean, we could, we could, uh, t- check that eventually, obviously not while we're recording, recording and probably I'll forget by the time this comes out, <laughs> but, um, well, and I think that there's a lot of, I think a lot of artists, especially directors, probably pull from paintings and i feel like mm. there's a lot of like german expressionism from like old films tied into that and then yeah, for sure. you know you throw in like the the uh i i keep forgetting what the name of the period of painting was but like the picasso stuff the uh absurdism abstract Ab- abstractism thank you oh my god <laughs> megan is gonna be <laughs> so pissed that i didn't like totally blast you for that but i also i'm i'm, I'm not an art history major she was so <laughs> but yeah so we get all that stuff, and and then while this is happening, also Bobcat Goldthwait's running around with a shotgun, uh, very creepily singing "Santa Claus is Coming to Town," uh, and just screaming about how terrible his day has been, and is just ready to kill Bill Mary. And then all of a sudden, the elevator doors open. Oh, I should also mention that the Ghost of Christmas Future has like a TV screen face, For a face that yeah. Just- which is like kind of it's one of the more unique versions of the Ghost of Christmas Future that I've ever seen in that sense. Uh, but yeah, elevator doors open. You hear Hallelujah playing and Bill Murray gives 
Bobcat Goldthwait a huge promotion, and then they decide that they're going to fuck it. We're going to do it live. Yeah, fuck it. We're doing it live. Uh, And that's when Bill Murray just storms onto set, and Scott's going to scoff at this. I think that the speech that Bill Murray gives in the studio, while it's kind of rambly and bounces all over the place, is the best explanation of why I personally love Christmas time that I've ever seen put in a film. Like it's, and it's why I love the Christmas Carol. It's why I love these stories that someone can have a change of heart and can become a good person. Uh, there's a quote from the good place recently. Boo! Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that, you know, it's, it's not about being a good or bad person. It's about trying to be a better person every chance that you get. Uh, and that's really, you know, we're going to get, I'm getting sentimental. The, yeah. You know, you're probably, are you over there with your tissues? Oh my God. I'm, I'm getting close, dude. I love Christmas time because of that. Ah, fuck Christmas, man. <laughs> but I, I do love that concept of, you know, there's something that Bill Murray says that I very truly believe. And I think about it every day, which is like, when you do good things, you feel good. And then you become addicted to that feeling of goodness and you want to keep doing more good. And that's, but isn't that um, selfish of you to want to do good so that you can feel good? I, I don't think it's selfish. I think it's that, you know, that you're on the right path. You know what I mean? Like, cause when I do something shitty, I feel like shit. <laughs> so when I feel good, I'm like, okay, I did the right thing. Like, it's like that, that affirmation that I'm doing something positive right i'm just giving um, you a hard time matt oh i appreciate it but i'm still i'm gonna i'm just fucking st- i'm on the yeah. pedestal <laughs> I, I have to side with scott right now um <laughs> just because i love christmas but i can't celebrate it this year so i'm acting like I. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, julie, julie may have shit on you on a recent episode of uh, my favorite episode of recently about that as well yeah <laughs> so okay I, I let me explain my negativity to christmas because christmas has nothing to do with being a good person has everything to do with spending money on shit that you don't need and other people don't need like consumerism is a pox upon humanity capitalism is terrible blah blah blah. but like you don't need a fucking holiday to be a good person so i really get frustrated when people are like it's the christmas spirit i'm like motherfucker it's the everyday spirit well, it depends on who you are. So, like, I understand why Christmas now is probably the most important holiday to my family. Is just because all the cousins, all the kids, um, you know, they all have their own separate lives. So, like, Easter, Thanksgiving, every holiday is very different as adults. It's like brothers and sisters and grandparents. But Christmas mm-hmm. is, like, the one day a year that most of the family is together. Most of the cousins, most of the aunts and uncles, it's like a bunch of people in my parents' house. Um, That's where it sucks. I don't care about the gifts. I don't need anything. You know, I hate spending money. I'm actually, that's probably my biggest thing for not having Christmas is because I can't afford to buy everyone a gift. Um, Well, it's also stressful as fuck. And and travel is just all. Yeah. And everybody's in a shit fucking mood when you're traveling on the holidays. Yeah. You know, so it's a tough transition because I was on salary. So it was great where it's like, shit, my flight gets delayed or I have to stay here another day. My my paycheck stays the same. Yeah. Now it's like <laughs> every day I'm not working. I'm not making money. Point blank, period. You know, so it's it's tough. But I get Matt's love for Christmas. I get your hatred for Christmas. I think it varies between people. 
you know also i i've like i grew up with a small family um and i also it it i don't like the mandatory fun you know like that that has always been a huge <laughs> stressor for me oh uh, see that's where you guys differ because if matt does have a family he is clark griswold to a t <laughs> he is mr mandatory fun <laughs> i know i that's why i'm glad we're not really brothers <laughs> I just want everyone to be happy. I don't know yeah, and you stress us out because you're like, <laughs> you're going to have fun or else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyway, he gives this big speech, which apparently a large it's chunk of it is fuck, which is uh, largely improvised. Um, but the, the one other line that I have written down, and it's not even that it's a funny line. It's just the way the line is delivered. But Bobcat is on the phone with the president of the company and he's, he's pinning everything on Bryce. And he just goes, also, oh, you said you're a flatulent butthead. And it cuts the old man. He goes, a butthead. And then <laughs> he kicks a cat. <laughs> like, that was such a Caddyshack scene. Oh, it, it's 100% a Caddyshack scene. Uh, One thing which is, we did. Go ahead. <laughs> no, my first notice, and I've seen this movie a, a bunch. But the first time I noticed is uh, there's kind of a happy ending for the frozen to death homeless guy. I never yeah, he noticed he had, the angels. Yeah, <laughs> I, I never noticed he teamed up with the Ghost of Christmas Present. <laughs> That's a sweet team up. Yeah. Um, but no, I was gonna say uh, the the other thing that we didn't mention that I think is funny because it actually ended up kind of being true is that the the crazy owner of the TV networks like. We need to make more programming for cats and dogs because <laughs> they show that they're watching TV and that in a couple of years they could be loyal viewers. And like now through like Roku and stuff, there are absolutely cat and dog specific channels. Oh, yeah, we put we put them on sometimes. Buddy loves classical music. <laughs> so I so I don't put on TV for him. But if I put on like Beethoven or Mozart, he climbs up on the couch and just rests his head next to the Alexa speaker. Oh, yeah, he like adores oh, fuck, it. I love dogs so much. <laughs> okay, now the waterworks are coming for me. <laughs> yeah. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. All right, well, uh, that was Scrooged. Merry Christmas, everybody. What do you guys have as double features? <laughs> do you want to know? Oh, no. I want to know what Scott has. I'll do a triple feature, guys. It's starting out with Scrooged. And then you go on Black Christmas. Nice. And then you go on Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> nice. Wow. I'm like, I will not let this stand. We are watching <laughs> Horror of Horrors. <laughs> so mine would be Die Hard, uh, only because I feel like a lot of this movie, to me, I'm sure that wasn't their intention, but I feel like a lot of this movie is kind of mocking Die Hard, in the sense of like was this, Die like, Hard first? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's just like the the 
action Christmas movie, which like I get it. Die Hard was never intended to be a Christmas movie. It just happens around the holiday, but it gets kind of wrapped into that. Like, oh, a man's Christmas movie is Die Hard. No, it's not. It's not a man's <laughs> Christmas movie. <laughs> so uh, wait, what are you what are you trying to say here by picking it and then saying it's not a man's Christmas movie? Because I feel like it's indirectly you've seen us we're not manly men (laughs) yeah i i just feel like that is what a lot of bill murray's shows that he's putting together is like mocking or at least reminds me of it's like the die hard being played on tbs around christmas time okay i gotcha uh i thought you were trying to say like i'm not a manly man but i i'm picking a manly man movie so that i can pretend to be a manly man on the most holiest of days no, only if uh, Jade's parents listen to this podcast. <laughs> listen, I'd they probably pair this you. up with Rambo because it's just one of my favorites. <laughs> They've seen you. They know. They know uh, that, that she's marrying a real, a softy. real Mary. <laughs> uh, all right, so I will uh, be the the idiot that just is like, I'm going to watch what we watched last year. But you got the Danny Elfman, you got the crazy Ooh, like yeah, angles. Can... I'm going with Batman Returns as the double feature on this bad boy. Batman, Re- Batman Returns is still a better Christmas movie than this. Oh, I know. We just couldn't do it again. <laughs> Says who? <laughs> you know how happy I would have been to talk Batman Returns again? <laughs> You're overpaid. <laughs> All right. So what is uh, something that you guys watched recently that you want to give a, a shout out to? Some two thumbs up, maybe four thumbs up. I don't know. <laughs> Brian, you want to go first, buddy? Yeah, sure. Um, season two of End of the Fucking World came out. Um, is that good? Dude, I think it's I think it's such a good show. I I can't get over how how well written the show is. Um, so that's really what I that's really the one I would talk about. And I and I just think that uh, everyone should watch it. And they're short episodes, so you could burn through it. It's worth a watch. I would say give it two episodes if you if you're not into it, then uh, don't watch any more of it. But I think you'll be hooked by the first two episodes. And it's a British show, so they don't fucking drag it out and milk it for all it's worth. (laughs) Oh, that's always a plus. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, Matt, you want me to go next? Yeah, go for it. Uh, So uh, two things that I want to mention. We're still walking our way through, well, running our way through what we do in the shadows, the TV show. And it is so funny. Oh, my God. It is so much funnier than the movie. Uh, but there's a, an episode called The Trial where they go on trial in front of all these other vampires. And um, they're all they're all famous people that have been in other vampire movies or TV shows. So like Danny Trejo is in it and Paul Rubens is in it and Tilda Swinton is the head of the Vampire Council. You have all three of the guys from the what we do in the shadows movie so taika jermaine and i can't remember the other guy's name um you have evan rachel wood from true blood and wesley fucking snipes skypes <laughs> in and it's so funny because they're like hey! you know he's like day walkers and those ones like he's still a vampire um but the show is just it's so funny it's <laughs> it's insanely funny like i am laughing my dick off every single episode and it's it's just so funny because i can't think of any other movie that was made into a tv show 
that I like better than the movie. Ash vs. Evil Dead is close, but I also wouldn't necessarily consider that a straight uh, take from the movie. You know, it's kind of like it kind of does its own thing, whereas what we do in the shadows is very stylistically, like it's still documentarian style, like uh, not documentarian, but uh, reality TV. It just makes more sense in a television show instead of a movie, in my opinion. Uh, so anyway, super, super funny. So good. But on the other side of the spectrum, Megan and I recently watched Black Klansman for the first time. And I was screaming at the fucking screen. Um, it is such a good movie. And it's just... I know that we talked a little bit about it on my personal Facebook. But um, just, man, I, I, I didn't have any real desire to watch it. Um, because I'm constantly exhausted by our current political climate so when megan was like do you want to watch this i was like okay yeah she you know she got me at a good moment and we watched it and it was just amazing absolutely yeah, amazing no, it's 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 it touches the drama well it has some genuinely funny moments mixed in there but it is a heavy movie uh i i've said before i think it's the best film spike lee's made in probably almost two decades yeah, uh, it, I, I I don't think that there's another Spike Lee movie that I would rewatch. Yeah, I mean, I've always that. had a love for Do the Right Thing, but um, yeah, no, it, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, so kind of bouncing off of what we do in the shadows, uh, I I saw Jojo Rabbit, and it is definitely my favorite film of the year by a long shot. Now it it just it, the way it juggles emotions and tones is insane. You know, it. you will know if you like it or not. I got really angry at one review that I saw that gave it zero stars because it wasn't realistic. <laughs> uh, like, isn't that the fucking point? Yeah, I was like, what the fuck did you get? Like, that to me seems like some critic seeing that a bunch of other critics gave it a good score and being like, well, I'm going to give it a bad score. Then. <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Critics, like, are so, critics are so worthless. Like, dude, they're so frustrating at times. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Uh, I have a question for you. I like horror enough that um, I would like to have some horror stories to to read around Christmas time. Do you guys have any uh, suggestions? Hmm. Because, like, you know, question. Scrooge kind of like just rubs the tip a little bit. It doesn't really do anything <laughs> for me. Uh, I honestly can't think of anything. Like, to me, I'm like, I don't know. Like, fucking Christmas Carol's got ghosts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, like, my perspective of it. I'm sure that there's, like, a scary story to tell in the dark or some urban legend that I've completely forgotten about. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't, think of, uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I will keep my mind open. And I might have to ask the group. Out, yeah, you might want to throw that in the group. Uh, and see what they say. Just want but, some short right. stories to read on Christmas Eve. Or just, you know, read Ichabod Crane again. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was Scrooge from 1988. Uh, we will be back next week with one of the movies that you guys picked from our Black Friday poll. We're not going to say what it is, and it's certainly not because we recorded this so early that we don't have the results. That isn't it at all. We're just doing that for the people on social media that that may not follow us on facebook and maybe don't know we can't spoil those surprises obviously that's totally all it is uh but we will keep on rocking into the new year 2020 is shaping up to be the fucking best year of horror movie night ever 
Until then, you guys have a great holiday, and we will be back just in time for the new year. And obviously, keep your eyes peeled, because you know that on Christmas Day, we're going to have some type of bonus content for you. You know on New Year's Eve, we're going to have some type of bonus content for you. Why do we keep giving you bonus content? Because we fucking love you. So thank you so much for listening. Bye. obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsie Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.